Are your acquisition costs too high? Lifetime values too low? Are you uncertain if your communication strategies are actually helping or hurting the efficiency and effectiveness of your marketing investments? Welcome to the Continuous Revenue Marketer podcast, where the world's most influential marketers are sharing their insights and lessons that are the critical topics they and their chief executives must address daily. How to drive consistent business growth and deliver more revenues through profitable acquisition and customer lifetime value maximization strategies. What you'll hear by listening to this podcast are the actual strategies and tactics our marketing experts are using to achieve these critical missions. Hi, I'm Russell Kern, CEO and founder of Kern and Omnicom Agency, and I'm joined with my co-host and producer, Elliot Dennis. I'm excited to have Marcus on our podcast today. I met Marcus a few months ago. I love the work he and his Passion Point Collective are doing for large brands in the area of branded films. It's a, such a fascinating topic and an important topic in the age uh, that we're moving to, especially in marketing. So Marcus, let's start with, you've had quite an interesting journey from marketing and Omnicom to record labels and sports and entertainment and PR agencies. Can you just sort of summarize your background and your path? And then what finally drove you to create the Passion Point Collective? Sure. Well, first of all, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you both for all your time. Um, honored to be part of the series. And yeah, basically, I started out on the entertainment verticals, on the entertainment side of things. So producing TV, movies, working in music, record labels, artist management. So really on the Hollywood and music side, which was great. It's just a very bumpy industry and has its ups and downs and, and you know, a lot, a lot of transition, a lot of changes in those industries. And then I crossed over to the marketing advertising side. This is now all about 18 years ago, joining Omnicom. And by doing that, I was able to kind of build a bridge between Hollywood, music, and the brands. So kind of sitting at that intersection. And I needed the background in music, film, and TV. I don't feel I could do what I have done, which is a lot of marketing executives who do what I do on the brand side don't have a background in the music film industry. They learn it being on the brand side, but not being totally immersed in it every day. So that's what's really helped me is knowing the perspective of the artist, the perspective of a movie director, the perspective of a distributor of a record label. So that's kind of how it works. So I did the crossover and, uh, and it's been great because I get to play on both sides of the fields. I'm still very much in with my music, film, and TV friends, um, but I'm seated in the world of brands and advertising. So it's a good intersection. It's a great place to be. Wonderful. Um, uh, Elliot, I think I'll just take this next question. Was I think for our audiences, why don't I give some context to what is a branded film and what are some of the branded films that you cre have created so far to, to help our audience pique their interest? So it's, a, it's an interesting topic because if you broach it with most people, even in the marketing communications fields, they're like, oh, brand and entertainment or the traditional movie model where brand partners with a feature film and they use their content in their above the line advertising. And it's neither. Um, the movie co-promotions are really just an exchange of assets. Branded entertainment is, is basically a longer commercial that's entertaining. And at the end of a branded entertainment piece, a consumer is very clear it was there to drive sales of a product. They're very clear. They might have enjoyed it. 
they might have leaned into it, but they're like, oh, that was obviously Pepsi. Brand funded films, and I get very particular about the wording, so branded entertainment versus brand funded films, are actual films. And they're funded by brands, but they're not competing with branded entertainment. They're competing with films from Sony, DreamWorks, Warner, and all the movie studios. So that they fit in, if you're watching Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, and you watch four documentaries in a row, and in the middle, there's one funded by a brand, it's all the same to you from a consumer perspective. You're just like, this is a great film. It's a great doc, just like the others I saw. And, you know, we have proof in the pudding in that when we screen at film festivals, many of our films are shorts. So they'll put us in a shorts block. So let's say there's eight films and we're number four. And we just had this at Sedona with our film um, for Affleck called The Park Bench. And they showed our film in the middle and there's always applause at every film. And um, right at the end of our film, the credits rolled and then you saw the Aflac logo and the whole audience started applauding because they didn't realize. They were just like, wow, this is a great animated film. Then they connected the dot because there was a duck in the film and they went, ah, the light went off. So that's really the difference is the brands are not prominently featured in the film. It looks like a traditional doc or scripted film, but the brand does have a connection which changes depending on that particular film and the brand initiative. Yeah, that's a great summary of the difference between brand entertainment and brand funded films. And kind of you talk about two about one of other questions, which is, you know, what makes this a special opportunity for brands and CMOs. But, you know, what exactly would be the win for the brand or the ROI if it's not, you know, like you said, a long form advertisement? You know, can you talk a little bit about what the what the play is for the CMO and the return on the uh, return on the investment for funding a film? Yeah, for sure. And that's the question we get most often. And it really depends on the brand objective, because depending on the film, many films are actually done not so much for the brand, but for the category. So, for example, um, we did In the Sun for Neutrogena. And if you watch the film, your takeaway is, oh, my God, I've got to, I've got to wear sunscreen. <laughs> this is too dangerous to not wear sunscreen. The cancer rates are rising on skin cancer. Yet nowhere did it bang you over the head and say Neutrogena. Their view is if another million people go out and buy sunscreen, their market share is big enough that what you know, rising tides float all boats. So that happens a lot with brands. Nike does it with their studio. They're wow. just trying to elevate sports. They're not sitting there holding up their sneaker. They're like, we have a big market share. Now, if you've got a brand that has a small market share, then that brand's like, wow, we really need to get out who we are or the product. So that's really the difference. And many, um, it also depends where it's funded from. So if you have a brand funded film and it comes from the product marketing division, they wake up every day to sell more widgets. That's their job. So somewhere they're going to have the product in. We did a film for Haagen-Dazs, part of Nestle, and it was about, um, Morgan Spurlock did it, and it was really about artisans. So we created all these um, great content pieces about amazing artisans, and they had an artisan ice cream out. <clears throat> so they were connecting the dots. At the end of the day, they wanted to sell the artisan ice cream. So it was product-related. <clears throat> While our films for HP we do a series called Generation Impact, and that's funded from the overall brand content communications division. Their job is just to create a positive aurora around HP. <clears throat> They're not sitting there trying to sell, oh, we have a brand new 
you know, printer out, a new model. They just want to make sure that HP has a positive association. <coughs> so it really depends. It's really different in each case what the objective is. So we're just clear with the brand up front. You're trying to sell a product. Do you just want to create a halo around the brand? Um, what is, or do you just want that product category to be lifted up? So all that matters is you agree up front and hit the objective. Gotcha. Oh. So I, I want to say is, okay, let's say a brand says, and I love the fact that you, the, the, the outcome is really clear. What are we seeking to do given where we are? What's the journey the CMO can expect to go on? How, how do they go from, you know, I love this idea to I'm, I'm now here at Sundance. What, what approximately is the journey they'll, they can anticipate? So, you know, it's interesting. The reason we formed our agency is because before this, when brands wanted to go on this journey, they had to go to multiple resources to get what they needed. Who's going to develop the film? Who's going to produce it? That's one entity or an agency. Who's going to do the PR? That's a different agency. Who's going to handle distribution? Someone else. Who's going to do the key art in the trailer? Um, here, who's going to do the social and digital? And it was frustrating because there was no one entity that did it all. So that's why we formed Passion Points. We're literally a movie studio for brands. So for the CMO or the head of marketing, we make it easy going, here's all the pieces. You nice. don't have to go fishing around. Nice. Here's the whole plan holistically from start to finish because they their question is like yours. They're like, how do we get from A to B to C to D and <laughs> when and how does it work and what does it cost? And if you're like, well, we're a trailer house. We can make your trailer. I don't, we don't do distribution. That's not a good answer. Right. So right. we give them the journey so they understand what's happening. <clears throat> and we also create development phases where we'll tell the CMO, listen, I know you're nervous. This isn't a cheap endeavor. So let's just develop the ideas. Let's just spend our time on that. That's going to cost X. And then we'll decide. So then like, ah. Okay, so they're not making <laughs> this huge commitment up front on something that is new to them and yes. frankly, a little scary because on the distribution tip, that's where a lot of the brands are like, well, how are people going to see it? And we lay out the distribution plan. That's where they're most nervous. Yeah. What if we make a film and no one sees it? Yeah. And that's where I go, look at our case studies. And I go, oh, I mean, Neutrogena, 8 million views. They go, got it. So, so without I that, yeah, they're going to say, can I just do more commercials, more print ads and do more programmatic digital buying? Sure, they could, but that's not where, where the future lies, you know. Alex, did you have a follow-up question? Yeah, I have, you, I have so great, many. That's a great context to kind of, you know, how organizations like yourself will kind of grow in the last couple of years to service that model. But can we take a step back for a second more? Like, what are the market uh, drivers that are now kind of giving this renaissance? I know you've spoken in the past about um, the increase in streaming entertainment consumption options now. And obviously, brand films have always been very popular in the Sundances of the world and all of the, uh, the award seasons and such. But uh, why is it you think it's gaining such a, a momentum right now? Is it because consumers are trying to avoid advertising and seek out brands that align with their values? Or is it really the fact that there is such a proliferation of places to view the content? Um, you know, but essentially, why do you feel that brand films are picking up such steam right now? It's been really a combination of factors. And you're right about calling out the marketplace. So, you know, especially the majority of brand films are documentaries. So we should start there. And if you think about it, 
whatever, 20, 30 years ago, you go into, if anyone remembers, Blockbuster, and in the back, there'd be a dusty bin with the document. Remember. It just, it just wasn't. But with the streaming world, and especially also airlines as well, documentaries have really had such a renaissance, especially with some of the big, the you know, the Ken Burns of the world who have these big tentpole documentaries. So that's really helped the cause. And then the outlets, um, you know, when we had brand funded films, you know, 20, 30 years ago, we didn't have the Amazons and the Netflix and the Hulus as additional outlets for the films. And then the marketplace in general, look, the cord cutters, we all know that, that the younger generation, they don't, you know, cable TV, they don't, they don't know what you're talking about. So this is, if they're not watching commercials, this became a, just a great vehicle. And really when it comes to what the big aha moment is, if you're just selling a new version of Coke and a new version of Pepsi or a new car, just flash it up, doesn't it look great, it's new, great. But for the majority of brands, they have a more complex story to tell. So like, for example, Aflac, it's not just insurance. It's coverage. It's very specific coverage for paying your bills when you're undergoing a medical, you know, a medical issue. And you just can't sit now. They try to say it in 30 seconds. They've been successful doing it, but they want to tell a longer story and they can't do that in a spot. So then they're like, let's create an actual story that the consumers get engaged in as long as they have an outlet to do that. So that's it's really been all of those factors converging that the market is converging with technology and how consumers um, ingest their content and having all these opportunities that enable brand-funded films to become a vertical. And remember, we're still at the genesis. Um, you know, it's not, you know, we're doing two films a month. We're not doing 30 a month. So it's still got a ways to go because some of the brands are still nervous about the journey. So it's a process, but it's growing every day. Uh -huh. Go ahead, Elliot. Um, the Bob question to that was, you know, as a marketer, I've been aware of it for years, but as a consumer, I think it really dawned on me for the first time last year when uh, the Dove sponsored Hair Love won the Oscar for animated short. And all that just got a lot of viral pickup and, you know, like friends and family were speaking about that. And, and so I've noticed a lot of many branded films tackle social responsibility topics, including one of your own for 3M that tackles stereotypes that hurt STEM and the aforementioned uh, Hair Love. Uh, it was a very popular one recently. DoorDash did for Soul of the City that featured NYC restaurants uh, during the challenges of COVID. So why do you think brand films are a good medium to drive these conversations? Like you touched on the Neutrogena example earlier. Um, is that something maybe I'm just, you know, picking up on? Or is that, you know, you think a trend where they are trying to tackle social responsibility as part of the core objective? Yeah, I mean, again, from the brand perspective, they just have to decide up front why they're making the investment. So if they're going to make the investment to drive a particular product, which is usually not the case, because most of the brands are like, listen, we've got other vehicles to just say we're making a better car, a better printer, a better bottle of Coke. Um, but many of the brands, look, they all have social responsibility divisions. There are so many agencies that just do social responsibility work just for brands. So films are a great vehicle to get that across. You know, sure, they can just partner, um, you know, with a nonprofit and support and write them a check. They can, and they get their logo at the event, but the brands are like, that's not really telling the story. It just shows we did a sponsorship. So they really look to use these films 
you know, for Generation Impact that we do for HP, we're focusing on young people, 24 and under, who are helping change the world. Each episode's about seven minutes, and we highlight a different young person in each film. And at the end, so you're watching the film, and you're watching this amazing young person, like, oh my God, I can't believe what they did. And at the end, we're just like, HP, keep reinventing. And that's it. And it just kind of, HP is saluting, honoring, and supporting these emerging young people who are helping to make this world a better place. So there's really no other vehicle that would get that point across. And especially when the consumer is engaged in it as great content and not a message that's being forced down, forced, forced down their throat, you know? So I, I have two questions. My first question is I love the case studies Maybe you could talk a little bit more about reach and viewership, which is how, you know, we gave example of when you have distribution, this is the range of dis, uh, exposure that can happen. That's my first question. Then my second follow-up question is, what gives the marketer confidence that if I speak gently and I speak quietly and I don't hammer them over the head, uh, my message will resonate as much, if not better than a paid commercial? So we'll take the first one first, which is how much exposure am I going to get? Second question is, how do I know it's going to resonate and have impact? So up front, the brand has to decide what kind of film they're going to make. And to clarify for Hair Love, um, that film was 80% done. There was no brand involved. Unilever saw it and went, whoa, this could have been made for us. We love this. So they came in at the back end which means they get a credit. Um, so it's it kind of interesting. But by kind of jumping on that train, they could already see this was, wow, this is going to be a high quality train. And that's the same team that did our Half-Life film. So we know them well. Um, they knew the distribution was going to be there. Um, also with Dads um, that Unilever also was part of. And that already had Imagine Entertainment that had Bryce Howard. So when you have a big celebrity team already, you kind of know you're going to get the organic views. Um, other brands want to make sure um, they want to make sure that it's supported on both levels. And we did in the Sun for Neutrogena, Kerry Washington's executive producers that already gave it so much gravitas, but they knew they had to support it with some paid. So in terms of how much paid the brands put behind the films, which drives guaranteed views. It really depends on them leveraging their existing media buys. So many often like, look, we're spending so much money with X media outlet already. Let them drive views of the film. Um, others have really amazing reach on their own channels. We had this argument with Samsung. We produced a film for them around the Olympics um, with Morgan Neville, who won the Oscar for 20 Feet to Stardom. And Samsung was very forceful about putting the film on their channel and we were pushing back no it's premium content you've got an oscar winning director we'll put it on you know a premium streaming channel so in the end we compromised they put it on both and we got huge views just on their channel because how many people are going to samsung every day for for whatever reason now do they go there for premium content no they go there to see what's the new film what's the new phone i can buy um so really you have to agree on a distribution strategy and goals up front with the brand. Some brands are like, oh, just put it on our channels. 
We're happy just for our current consumers to see it. But if they want to gain new audience, you know, they'll come to us and say, listen, we want to make a film that we've got a good shot, a Hulu or a Netflix or an Amazon or Apple will take. Great. If that's your plan, then we're going to need X celebrity to either direct it, be part of the film. Um, so you just have to agree on it all up front is really the bottom line. But we've gotten 8 million, 10 million, 15. I mean, all our case studies in terms of our views have held up that in terms of the exposure versus the cost, the ROI is absolutely there. And That's what was the second part? The, sec the second question is, you know, I'm used to being a CMO and I know the power of paid and I put my message and I do, you know, repeat and I build awareness through exposure. Now you're telling me to be softer, gentler, to close. Does it really, does it really impact? Does it really work? Does it really move a category? Do, you know, I, you know, granted the ROI of exposure is there, but does it, does it actually move the needle for the business? Let's talk about that. The end result. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was having lunch with one of our, another agency that does brand funded films. They did a great one and he's part of one of the big agency groups. And I was asking him that same question saying, how is it, how does it go with your conversation? They're the media buying agency for some big brands. And I said, so how does that go when you're telling them to shift dollars? And he said, I get on the phone with the CMO, and I think he used Amex as an example, and said, next quarter, we're going to spend $50 million on media buying. But here's my reco. Let's instead spend 49 and make a movie. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so like, fine, you're still having $49 million in media. We're not saying it goes away, but come on those dollars are not working the same way they used to. So make an investment, not half, just yeah. one, you know, one, you know, 3% and invest it in making long form content. But look, the, the, the answer is, you know, some of the proof in the pudding is God, the Nike studio is on their fifth film. REI is on their 10th film for HP. I'm on my sixth film. Wow. Um, the brands are seeing the return and trust me after every film, I get the same call. Can you build a case study? Because I got to go to my boss and the CFO and <laughs> look what we did. And with, you know, with HP, um, we did this film, Dear Future Me. And they were concerned. They said, listen, it was it's a film about students and it's not a celebrity director. So we have no real pizzazz or buzz. It's a great film. Is any, are we going to get any exposure on it? We, everyone's in love with it, but they're nervous. and. Our view is always a great film will always break through and, and find its way. And we pitched it to the Today Show. They fell in love with it. And I was waiting for the ad sales guy to go, I'm not putting HP on the Today Show when we get so much money. And the executive producer said, it's a great film and we need to show it to the world. And we had a 25-minute segment, 25 wow. minutes on the Today Show with the brand logo. Wow. So, Anytime we have CMOs and they question, I go, there you go. And then Kelly Clarkson's people saw it and then put it on there. So great content will always break through. The key is they have to let us do our job and create great content. If ever they're, they're trying to force it and it's really branded content, they're trying to put, that's when it gets fuzzy and we go, well, then you'll have to put paid behind it because we're not sure that earned media will pick it up. 
Got it. Fascinating. Fascinating. Ellie, did you have a follow-up question or anything at this point? No, I think we just have our closing question. We always close with a question around, you know, tips you give CMOs. And you've given a lot, Marcus, throughout this episode. Thank you so much. So maybe no just to, maybe just to summarize a little bit, you know, we know, as you discussed, that making a film could be a big task for a CMO. So what are just maybe a few tips you'd recommend to determine if they should get started and how they would get started? So like, what are some baby steps? I think you talked a little bit about first, you know, thinking through the idea uh, and having, a, but you've discussed a lot about a lot of upfront planning. So, you know, what would be, if, if the CMO is out there thinking about this and they want to give you a call, you know, what would just be the first thing they should consider to kind of start on their journey? You know, the number one tip for CMOs and the number one issue we face, and it's not a horrible issue, but it's still an issue is we usually get funded out of one particular department. Could be digital, could be PR, could be brand, could be marketing. And we find that the film kind of stays in that department. And then towards the end, when we're already, the planning's done, the film's about done, other departments, whoa, what's going on? There's a film. And then it's, oh, we could have, we could have, we should have. So it's for the CMOs to bring in all the departments ahead of time, build a cohesive plan. Don't bring them in at the end. So, you know, especially with the media buying departments are like, we just did an upfront with Hulu. We would have included this as part of the buy. Mm-hmm. So that's really our number one tip is bring everyone in at the beginning, give everyone a seat at the table. There was nothing worse than, you know, a department coming in and just feeling, well, we were kind of left out. So I'm not going to jump up and down to support this film. And that's just a lost opportunity. So they really have to bring all the troops in the beginning, getting everyone marching in the same direction. And that's what creates, um, you know, creates a success. That's wonderful. So I think, Marcus, we should leave the curiosity question of how much to when they call you as good marketers. You just you tipped your hand of an example of Amex. So I'm sure there's a range of budgets, but I. I do know that Ellie and I love this category. I do think it, it's very innovative. I think CMOs have to be pushing for innovation in their marketing communication. And the fact that you offer them a turnkey service to eliminate the pain points that have existed and the quality of your work, the awards you've won and the brand you work with, I think speak volumes to other or to our listeners and other potential CMOs. So I thank you so much for being with us today. I really... Um, it's always a joy to speak with you and, and promote your service. And I hope CMOs will contact you or contact us through you or to you. And um, I just want to encourage all of our listeners to continue to subscribe to the Continuous Revenue Marketer podcast. We have other great experts coming. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And until then, I thank you. I'm Russell Kern. The Continuous Revenue Marketer has been brought to you by Kern an Omnicom precision marketing agency that helps Fortune 500 companies increase revenue from customer acquisition to loyalty through personalization at speed and scale. For more information, please visit kernagency.com.